Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome man who's doing four rehearsals in two days. I mean four weeks. It's Richard Herring. Thank you, rap fans. Hello, my fine friends. <laughs> Welcome uh, to another episode of Rich Terrain's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But I was hanging around with the Why Don't You Gang for the Bristol, the Bristol Why Don't You Gang. Like I knew that would. I mean, like there's there's people with white hair who don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you remember the Why Don't You Gang? Why don't you, why don't you just switch off your television set and go and do something less boring instead? Sit at home, watch TV. <laughs> turn it off. Not, I, for a long time, I just turned the TV off when that came on and thought I was quite clever. Then I watched it. It was quite good. Um, anyway, they call it Rehalistopa. <laughs> they call it Wadiya. You might get next week's one. If you're here next week, you might, you might remember... So yeah, look, I've uh, I've been uh, I've been in I was in Leicester, uh, as do people at home will know. Done 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 a couple of couple of weeks in Leicester yesterday, and um, that was fun. But it's nice to you know they're they're all 
king stealing pricks there. So it's it's good to be good to be away. I, I put up with it. It's Richard of York, isn't it? It's the, the clues in the name. Um, but uh, lots of things have been going on. I wanted to tell you about um, the uh, the water in Venice has disappeared as as we go to press. Uh, that she, uh, and I think that's due to all the Veneziana pizzas I bought in Pizza Express. <laughs> 25p. <laughs> it's gone too far. It went too far. That's why they've had to stop doing that deal. The Veneziana pizza was good. Right, there was a discretionary 25p donation to the Venice in Peril Fund. You mean, I don't think they do it anymore. Uh, but on two occasions, uh, I managed to turn that into a shag. And I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> pretty impressed. I don't know why I didn't do it more than twice. But I went on two dates uh, and I'm at Pizza Express because I'm classy. And uh, I refused to pay the discretionary 25 pence on both occasions. The woman I was with was so impressed. They, uh, they had sex- full sexual intercourse with me. Not, like, like in, the, not in the restaurant. Wait till we got home. I went out with one of them for 18 months. So careful what you wish for. Uh, it was Julia Sawala. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I don't think she had sex with me that night, actually. But uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> so sorry about that. But that would... If, uh, and I'm not a dating man anymore, but that would be... If, you, if they bring it back, try that. You've got to be careful with it because you couldn't just come across looking like an arsehole. You've got to do it. Going, I don't... You know, it's discretionary. I was just being pedantic about it being discretionary. And I did say I hated Venice and wanted it to sink into the sea. <laughs> I think both the women realised I was doing a bit. I think don't think they liked me because I hated Venice. Uh, I've, I've got like this new story as well, which I covered on Twitch of Fun a few weeks ago. It'll be now by the time this goes out. Um, do listen to Twitch of Fun and watch Twitch of Fun. It's a fantastic... It's probably the world's best uh, topical show with a man and a 131-year-old uh, ventriloquist dummy. It's on uh, twitch.tv. That's, the, that's where all the, 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 the big kids are now. Um, a flying instructor died in flight after suffering a cardiac arrest. It gets funnier. It's not really a funny story, uh, but uh, uh, his co-pilot thought he was fooling around. Uh, so prior to takeoff, the pair chatted normally while the pilot taxied the craft out to the runway. The pilot uh, said uh, the instructor's last words were, looks good, there is nothing behind you. Oh, the irony. <laughs> Everything was behind him. Shortly after takeover, the instructor's head, the instructor's head rolled back. As the two pilots knew each other well, the co-pilot thought his companion was just pretending to take a nap. When he completed the circuit, the report said, uh, when the plane turned, the instructors slumped over so his head rested on the co-pilot's shoulder, but again, the pilot still thought a joke was being played on him. And so it was only when he landed that he realised the guy was dead. Which is quite a long time to do the joke, isn't it? There's a long... It's a long joke, and I kind of wish the guy had just gone, yeah, no, he's still, he's always, he's always joking around. It's only, he isn't really dead, he's just pretending to turn up at the funeral. I know what's going on, he's, he's going to pop out in a minute. I mean, I think, you know, if your friend goes down, just check their pulse, just, just a terrible thing. No, it's, it's, you're right, it wasn't funny. Uh, let's, let's crack on. Why don't you just switch up television set and go to something? Uh, let's meet our guest. He is probably best known for having an honorary doctor of social science. That he is an honorary doctor of social science from the University of Wolverhampton. That's why we're all here tonight. Talk to him about that. 
what he knows about social science. Will you please welcome the incredible Al Murray, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Doctor of Social Science. Hello. Honorary Doctor of Social Science. I am, yeah. and not just that. There was another one as well. You've got, you've got a couple of honorary degrees, haven't you? I got another one from Luton. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Although I can't remember what in. <laughs> it was a good lunch, though. It was a nice lunch. Okay. Did they give you a certificate? Um, there is a certificate, but I've lost it. <laughs> uh, uh, but so I have got two. Thanks for reminding me yeah. about the the other one. The one at Wolverhampton was really that was really good. Yeah. Because history is a social science now. Oh, okay. It's been uh, like sort of told it's not history anymore it's been like digested yes by social science and yeah what the, there was a very nice guy at wolverhampton who basically wanted to have lunch with me <laughs> so that's how that happened but you have to dress up in all the kits so you I have do. to borrow the kit you have to wear the waterboard and you have to do a speech to the i youngsters. did do a speech that went for fuck all because basically <laughs> it it was they're all you know Young people, and at Wolverhampton, it's mainly sciences. So I come on and go, hey, uh, don't do as you're told and all that. And um, <laughs> Oh, really? Went for nothing. And yeah. then the, and at Luton, the, the guy said, the great thing about the UCD University is it's really near the airport. So we're good. <laughs> so we, we do very well with foreign students. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, what will happen when this ends is they're all going to fly back to the Middle East <laughs> and basically get on their planes and... Sort of lazy foreign students who go, I want to go to the university nearest. I, end, I was in Luton. Yeah, but if, you want to loot, if you're in Luton, yeah. you really want to need... Well, it is near the airport. Yeah. I mean, it's a chicken and egg, that one. But, yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to Luton... Anyway, the point is... You'll want to go. You want to you leave. Want, you want to leave, yeah. Weirdly, at the first time in my life, I got <laughs> lost in Luton last night on my way back from Leicester. Really? And I ended up in Luton Airport. I don't know how I did it. I took a wrong <laughs> turning, and I thought, fuck, I'm going to have to pay... Well, that's six just, pounds for the drop-off fee, but, but I, managed, I managed to find a way around without. That's because you're doing four things <laughs> in two <laughs> days, and your body's telling you to go on holiday. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad when you're going. Kind of, where am I? Going, where am I? What's going on? I don't recognise it. Airport. I'm at Luton Airport. It was uh, yeah. It's a terrible place, Luton. You know, and Russell T Davis was a presenter on Why Don't You? I didn't know that. I think no Gideon from Six Music was, yeah. wasn't he? Gideon Coe, yeah. Gideon Coe, yeah. Yeah, but that was... Russell I think T. Russell Davis's first gig was a, was presenting. Which... Uh, but on late, on late, why don't you? Oh, really? Late, like, oh, late. Like, so basically the equivalent of, like, Sylvester McCoy, why don't you? Yeah, I thought you when, meant, like, <laughs> why don't you after dark? <laughs> <laughs> That's a different programme. <laughs> the kids but showed you, you pitch, how to... You pitch that. That's an amazing idea. Had a finger. That's what we call it. <laughs> That would get some people, kids watching TV. If that would get, get made. Yeah. That would get made. Fuck me. So good. Yeah, no, I didn't, don't remember Russell T. Davidson. Would he you have liked to have been in the, the Why Don't You gang? No. Did you, no, did I was did too, you watch I was, it? They were like crazy. They were wild people. And I was very square when I was, when I was a boy. I was, no, never. There was a boy at our school who ended up being, like, doing stuff on BBC. You know, the, the, in BBC Bristol did a lot of the... Nature programs, and there was a boy in our school right. who ended up being like the kid that got onto those nature programs. And I was really jealous. Yeah, I, didn't I even, bet I didn't like nature, but I was. I thought, how did he get? How did he get? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he. Maybe he was faking it too. Maybe a show business. Yeah. Where is, is he now, though? That well, that's guy? the big question. Yeah. Look, what, I'm what, here. Yeah. On, on. What's his name? <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. That's, that's terrible, isn't it? Chris Packham. <laughs> it was David Attenborough. <laughs> He hasn't aged well. 
<laughs> very good. Well, look, let's all we were backstage. Let's talk about what we we're talking about backstage, which yes. is very exciting. Which is um, the Spitting Image live show that you've co-written? And yes, co-written. Been, in, been involved in Beyond. You seem to be going to it and stuff. So you're a producer as well, or something? No, like I'm that? not. A, I'm no. no? no I'm, um, I'm. You know, like all these things, I'm. I'm cut into a mythical back end. If we, yes. if we, if we get into into the West End, and if we're there for a long time, and at some point we'll, it'll tip, and we'll suddenly, we'll suddenly, we'll be rich, which yeah. is how they entice you into doing things in the theatre. But it's basically, it's myself, Matt Ford, and Sean Foley, who, um, uh, you know, uh, did the play What I Wrote. Yeah, amazing. Um, who's an amazing, brilliant, brilliant comedy director and who just did um, uh, Upstart Crow in the, with David Mitchell, which they'd, they'd done for three weeks before the pandemic and then, and then yeah, had right. to put it on hold and then they revived it uh, in, in, the, in the autumn last year. And um, we, the three of us have written this thing... I mean, we've written four, th- three and a half things. Yes. Um, because we got, we got kind of caught outflanked by events <laughs> at one point. Um, although, I mean, the more I think about it, we started writing it in March last year. We'd have had to rewrite the ending five times in the intervening anyway. Yeah. And we'd have had to change who the... Well, we may have not had to change who the lead character was, but, but we'd have had to change the thrust of it as we went. And, so you um, you'd based around Boris Johnson the, fir- the first show was called The Liar King. Yes. And... and <laughs> And it was the story of Boris Johnson, you know, how he becomes world king. Because he said he wanted to when he was a kid. Right. <laughs> According to his sister, you know, he, he declared when he was five, I, I shall become world king. So the, the plot was the plot was basically... <laughs> um, and obviously quite a lot changed since we wrote this. But the original <laughs> plot was Boris um, uh, realises time's up, so goes to see the queen, throws her down a well, having... <laughs> Because there's a wishing well in Buckingham Palace, <laughs> magical wishing well in Buckingham yeah, Palace, course. having got her to sign the bottom of a piece of paper, and the, which of course said, you know, he says, before I go, an autograph, please. Yes. And it says, I, I appoint Boris World King, right? Throws it down a well, becomes World King. While he's on his way there, because we we're going to have two Boris puppets, so there was going to be him in a black suit and then another one in a white suit who was his conscience, who he'd given the slip <laughs> when he was four. Right? <laughs> we were going to have a scenario with these two little boy Borises having a fight. We're, naughty Boris wedging the other one. And, anyway, and we had this whole thing, and it ended with, it ended with Boris, Boris kills Peppa Pig by accident. And so... Because <laughs> the thing is about this, you can have anyone you want in it. Yes, just make a, just make a puppet, right? And, and, and <laughs> any resemblance to persons living or dead is the point. Um, and, uh, and, and it ended with... Basically, him in the tower waiting to go to the gallows and um, his conscience turns up and Boris tricks his conscience into going to the gallows for him. <laughs> and he's world king at the end and then the queen came back from the dead, although... Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's quite a different story now. <laughs> <laughs> so we've retained elements of that because the puppet of him is amazing and Matt's impression of him is so, so good. You, and also he's still, he's still you know literally lurking in the background yeah. in politics at the moment. We couldn't leave him out. So he's still in it, but it's, it's a very... It's a, a radically different story. Yeah, so you've gone for more like a celebrity... It's a Marvel film. Safer, yeah, it's a Marvel film. It's Idiots Assemble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vladimir Putin says, I, I see what it is now. It's a shit Marvel film, Idiots Assemble, at one point. Because <laughs> basically what we've done is we have a, a fake Prosarch 
built in, so uh, like in a, a traditional theatre, with boxes either side. So Harry and Meghan are watching in a box that side, and Putin and Xi are watching in a box that side. <laughs> and they kind of, they end up getting involved, obviously. But the story is, uh, it starts on the morning of King Charles's coronation. He's meeting with his most trusted advisor, who's Paddington Bear, <laughs> who, who is actually called Jesus Fernando Compostela. <laughs> and... <laughs> And there's cocaine in the marmalade sandwiches. Because <laughs> you, you just make this really horrible, disgusting Paddington puppet, then you can have him say what you want, yeah. right? It's really... It's the, the freedom of it is really, really interesting. Yeah. So you can put words into Harry's mouth. You can put words into Meghan's mouth, into the king's mouth. You know, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting toy box. Yeah. But the plot is... So basically, the, the, the fabric of society is wearing thin, and there's a piece of fabric that the royal family have to look after <laughs> and who can possibly um help us with this impossible mission and then this tom cruise puppet of course falls down in red lights from the you know and then we go and we go from there and he assembles a posse of heroes um they have to fight the world's most evil men and james corden and uh, <laughs> these are the beats of the story and they're tricked they're tricked into they're tricked in they're deported to rwanda and 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 uh, um <laughs> And there's a sort of Suella Braverman that's like an exorcist doll creature who's possessed by the idea of deporting people. So, <laughs> but, but, but we were, we were, what, what is really amazing about it is you, you, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're really trying to engage with the energy of the old programme. Not, not, you know, it's a long time ago now, and it, yeah. it first aired 39 years ago this week, so it's, it's a lot, it's a long time ago. Yeah. And I understand why people don't know what it is anymore. I get, I get it. Yeah. So we've got an opportunity to kind of refresh it. We're not doing... It's not like the telly, because there's no rinse, repeat. There's no... It, 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 you can compare it to the TV programme if you want, but you won't get very far with that, because right. um, it's a theatrical piece. So yeah. it's a, a two-act play with musical numbers and a big finish and all that. And, and it's... But we're also trying to do... It's supposed to be like an 18th-century cartoon pamphlet yeah. Grotesque. Yes. Okay. You know, yeah. with, with 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 with, you know, the the, the freedom they had. Yes. Yeah, sure. To write really really rude things about the powers that be, that you see in eighteenth century pamphleteering. That, that that Roger Roger Law, who created Spitting Image, was very much in the. He was he self consciously in that tradition. Yeah. And so we've really tried to do that. And we've we one of the things we've definitely done. So I don't know if people know. So the Thrapani Opera, which is the which is the. Um, uh, a Bertolt Brecht, Kurt Vile musical from the 30s, in, uh, uh, about uh, well, I think it's from the 50s, but it's but it's about it's about Berlin, yeah. um, interwar Berlin, which was based on the Beggars Opera, which is John Gay's play from the time of William Hogarth, which is about uh, magistrates and thief takers in London and how the politicians are cheap by jowl with the crooks and the crooks are in with what f fills in for the police, and in that play they have all these people with names, so you know who they all are if you know what's going on in London. Yeah. And then they take popular songs of the time and they change the words and he turns it into this sort of folk tale and at the end the audience decide what happens. So we've kind of drawn on a bit of that kind of yeah. uh, uh, Georgian uh, satirical tradition as well because that's where, that's where on stage and in pamphlets people started being really, really openly rude about the powers that be and... and, and we want to. We want. We want that. We want. We want to tap into that. We want to be part of that feeling. Yeah. And so the show's got that in it. So if you want to see the royal family singing Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> about about um, 
Prince Andrew's peccadillos, then <laughs> buy a ticket. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, you know, it is... I, mean, it's, it's, I know it sounds all pretentious, that, but that's, that is what we're trying to really trying to tap sure, into. Sure, but no, it's, it is extraordinary to go back. I mean, I suppose the, the original TV show felt like that, didn't it? It felt like yeah. this is sort of groundbreaking, this is much ruder than we're used to. People, yeah. At that point... People hadn't, you know, putting the voice of the Queen Mother and doing her as whatever they did her as a, a was it a Cockney or Northern? I can't remember what it was. Yeah, they, she was a Cockney. Yeah, yeah. Cockney. Then it was, you know, it, people were shocked and offended. I know it's amazing, and yeah. it is amazing. Yeah, that that they were. I mean, it's always it's like I mean, it's like all these things when you when you when you look at Elvis and people go, he's going to destroy Western <laughs> civilization, and it's a bloke going, oh, you know, like it's yeah. dead. and then <laughs> punk rock. Oh my God, you know, like it's so shocking. Like the the, the idea that the and and of course the satire boom in the early sixties. Yeah, you know no one had no one. Had, I mean, apparently no one had ever done an impression of a prime minister before on television. You know, Peter yeah. Cook's impression of Harold Macmillan like scared the horses. It is interesting when you look at those moments where supposedly things are massively shocking. But we we've tried to. You want that energy, and you could do it in a theatre. Yeah, well, there's free, it is the freedom still of live performance, regardless of what comedians say about everything. You oh, can't do yeah. anything anymore. Um, you can still within the theatre. You could do an you awful do. lot of things yeah, yeah. that you couldn't do 30 years ago. Sure. Even 20 years ago. Um, uh, uh, taboos have never, ever not been shifting. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean... <laughs> You'll find the, your way through. Yeah. Um, and, and we do have a... We have... <laughs> I mean, the... Th the you know, the fact that Tom Cruise is our lead uh, in the story means we've got to do all sorts of things about him. And, um, you know, we've, we haven't been sued yet. <laughs> so it might be good. There's plenty you... of time for that, yeah. Uh, do you think it is would be cheating on your partner if you had sex with a spitting image puppet? No. <laughs> Have you considered uh, renting out the Suala Braverman <laughs> puppet... <laughs> On Not an hour, yet. On an hour, by, by <laughs> hour but basis. But now, only... now you bring it up. <laughs> it might be a way of covering some of your costs. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're life size, right? As well, some of them are. She's yeah. one of the. She's one of the smaller ones. Oh, well, I can, the, make, it, I can the, make it work. The Carrie, the Carrie Johnson <laughs> puppet has um, <laughs> talking breasts. Really? As well. I mean, okay, that might. You should have her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um... And uh, there's a well. I like. The, I read somewhere about the show notes you're getting are kind of quite surreal. Oh God! The sh well, I'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll read you the show notes. The show notes are amazing. So basically, the show report you get uh, after every performance, you get a show report that basically you know sums up how how t how tonight went. Um, and uh, the f let me where are they from Jasmine, and and tonight tonight's show report Saturday twenty. This is this is so this is Saturday's show report. It contains, you know, perform date, performance number 27, audience, house count, 597. And then you get who's in attendance, who did what. Technical notes. Um, So-and-so watched tonight's show. Uh, technical note two. The exploding cabinet pyro Q1 misfired. The cabinet collapsed as desired. Right, we've had a recurring problem with that. <laughs> Maintenance, right? So this is the one. Today's notes as follows. Puppets, mild lesions on Rishi's neck. <laughs> Boris's teeth are coming loose. <laughs> Fixed by B. O'Shea, who's one of the puppeteers doing the show. Maggie's whip wig is slipping. Can, can Keir's Superman stuffy be looked at? Puppet, ma puppet maintenance tracker available here, and there's a link for the puppet maintenance. Um, and, and, and 
this is this is basically, and then you get um, you know a captivated audience with raucous responses throughout, with many standing at the curtain call, which is you know what, obviously what you're after. But the first <laughs> night, the opening night, um, we've got a bit where um, where our heroes are in a uh, in a boat because they've been deported and they've escaped, and they're coming back across the channel, and Nigel Farage um, pisses on them from the White Cliffs <laughs> of Dover, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it said on the first night. Um, Nigel, I'll find it for you because it's really, really funny. Um, here are tonight's show notes. Thank you, Jasmine. Right, so here we go. Um, um, as the pub was tracking out stage, the spade disconnected. Okay, fine. Fly Q8 was, down, was slowed down. Delay to Act 2 when we confirmed the wardrobe set was complete. Um, <laughs> note 6. So, note 5. The fish head dropped off the body as it entered today, retrieved by Bertie Hans doing the stand tall little man. Note six, there was a touch too much water from the urinating Farage on stage, <laughs> causing a few slips during Stand Tall Little Man, which is the song, song Stormzy sings to, uh, um, <laughs> to Tom Cruise. <laughs> and then the opening night, hole in Queen's chin, Ian is missing a thimble and top thimble is coming loose. So Ian McKellen's our narrator. Suella head is coming loose from body. Split, split in Megan 2's nose. <laughs> Rishi top thimble loose. King Charles dowel holder needs reattaching. So, I mean, that's the opening night. They all, they all basically all fell apart the opening night. And there's been this, this amazing uh, effort to, to, to run the repairs on them. But they are, the show notes are... They're, you know, you get these, you get these uh, extraordinary messages. Hole in Queen's chin on show two. I mean, and on it goes. I mean, it makes the show sound pretty spectacular. People, you know, there's... There's, there's a cast of 106 right. puppets in it, right? How many puppeteers? 12. Oh. And, and you, do get, you do get the odd thing where it goes, you know, ice pack needed for so-and-so at the end of that scene. Because, yeah. the, 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 you know, they're big and they're quite... The, the ones that have come off the TV show are heavier than the ones... The, the, they made some new ones for the stage. Yeah. But they're quite heavy, and so they kind of get five minutes out of a puppeteer. It's quite demanding. <laughs> As a, as, a, as a piece of theatre. But, it's, I mean, it, I, I've seen it, I think, half a dozen times now, and, it, and it's, it, it's amazing. And what's also going on is more and more detail go, it goes in as the puppeteers, like, get more into it and yeah. are finding extra little bits of business. We've got the thing... There's a, a thing called the Circle of Jerks, which is when the Tory party all come in, like in the style of the Lion King. So we've got <laughs> this 12-foot-tall Reese Mogg praying mantis... <laughs> And Pretty Patel's a bat, and what's her name? Therese Coffey's a slug with a cigar, and the smoke comes out of her ass as well. It's really funny. But basically, we've got, we've got all that, and, and um, the business... I've seen, you know, each time I go back, you said there's more business built into that. If you've got all the puppeteers on stage together, working the business together, it gets, it's, like, it's, like, it's like it's a cartoon, and someone's filled in all the detail. Yeah. It's really amazing. So you're kind of hoping nothing really happens in the world. Well, <laughs> if, if well you, no, because... nothing changes if the, if the Tory government fell tomorrow. I mean, well, that's all right. Yeah. We could... Be, we, we could we it would could, be more than all right, but, yeah. Well, no, yeah, no. Exactly, yeah. I mean, obviously, we'd really love to bring the government down, but just not yet. <laughs> we want it to go into the West End for at least 18 months <laughs> and then bring the government down. But, no, if, if, if the government comes down next week, we're, you know, yeah. do they mind <laughs> to rewrite it? But, no, we, so we had to deal with Sturgeon about... Sturgeon's uh, retirement or res- resignation 10 days ago, and that was... I was on holiday. I was in Tenerife, but, you know... WhatsApp yes. is the great leveller, <laughs> and it pops up immediately. What are we going to do? So we all, everyone's pitching lines on the group, and then Jess Robinson does uh, Sturgeon. She was on a holiday in the Lake District, so she drove down from the lakes to Birmingham with her mum and a dog in the car, 
<laughs> did the new lines, they rehearsed it with the puppeteer, stuck it in, and that evening, there it was, her going, that's it, I resign, on top of the lines we had her doing anyway. Yeah. So the whole, all the, all the words are pre-recorded. It's re- all a track, yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, the, the, which is how they used to make the programme, so the, the, right. they'd record it and then they'd, the puppeteers would do it to the track. Because okay. there's yeah. just, you couldn't, where would you put them in the orchestra pit? How would it work? And also, you'd then be paying for impressionists night and day, yeah. and, and that would be really expensive. And, <laughs> you know, our, our mysterious, uh, you know, back end would disappear even further into the future. But, the, but, the, but yeah, so it's to a track, but you can, you know, you can get someone to record lines on a phone now. I mean, it's the other thing is, is the technology has levelled a big part of that um, yeah. kind of playing field. So, so if, you need an, if you need an insert, I can do I've got, I got a home studio, and I'm doing some of the voices, and Fordy has as well. And in fact, anyone who does voiceover basically has stuff at home now course, since the yeah. pandemic. So, yeah. so, you know, actually running repairs are quite easy to do. I mean, our big problem would be if, if Sunak quit tomorrow and then a Tory came in who we don't have a puppet of, right. <laughs> they take about four weeks to turn around. Because <laughs> okay. it's, caric- you know, you get a caricaturist in, you pick the caricature you sure. like the best, they're, they're then sculpted, they're turned into a... That has to, there's a mould, it has to dry, the puppet has to dry, then they have to be painted. They have to, you know, it's actually, it's a sort of four-week process. So we'd probably, because we've got a scene where, where it said, you know, this is where the big beasts of the Tory party gather to choose a leader every few weeks, right? So we'd, <laughs> so we'd probably have someone with a paper bag with a smiley face <laughs> <laughs> to come and go, hello, it's me, you know, do- whoever. If it's not Rob, I mean, anyway... The, the, <laughs> something we're not going to worry about. No, it's going to drive us mad. It's interesting. I mean, even it's sort of interesting you had to write it three or four times, yeah. even in the first place. To, but devising to a this. thing that is kind of... Is, I mean, the royal family, fortunately, have a thing in place for when one of them uh, <laughs> dies, which is that they're replaced by their... So when, when the Queen uh, died, we were able to put Charles in her place. That, yeah. that, was, no, that, was, that was fortunately no biggie. <laughs> but but um, it's... it's yeah, Al we Murray tried... claims the Queen's death was no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, That's the, the take-home headline, about, the Daily amazing, Mail. Yeah, but come on, come on, come on. Everyone, it was going to happen at some point, and no one seemed prepared for it. It was amazing. I was in a theatre that night, and they went, shit, that afternoon, when yeah. it was obviously what had happened. They're, and she's in the theatre, they go, shit, what do we do? We haven't got a protocol. I think she's, how long has this been? I mean, I'm not, how long is the death of the Queen being coming? But it was a weird moment, anyway. Yeah. But, but, but we've kind of, I think what we've done is we've kind of built a thing that where you could... You, you know, it's like a vessel and you can change the sails, yeah. but not have to change the whole thing. No. That's the idea. Sure. But yes. it might, might not work out like that. It sounds amazing. It reminds me a bit uh, of the Oxford Review 1989. Yeah. We'll show on the fringe. <laughs> that you were, it was 88 or 89? 89. Yeah. Because that was a big concept show about the world uh, ending. The world ending, yeah. 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 Didn't, the worst, worst show. Worst show on the fringe called The Independent the Observer. Yeah. Mm. You know who directed that? I can't remember. No, I can't remember who he can't was. I can't remember who he was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the other one. No, no you, had no- <laughs> you had nothing to do with that show, did you? No. Yeah. no. You'd been burned the year before. <laughs> I'd had a terrible, terrible God, time. It's so awful. I remember what, like, watching that thinking, <laughs> this is a bit mean. Anyway. There we go. What, yeah. what a one. I'm still dealing with it, Al. I'm still trying to get through it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, look, I, I, I was reminded, I don't think we talked about this before. In yeah. the, this is your, including Edinburgh and the book club version, yeah. the thing we did for Fane, which went up in the book club. This is your seventh appearance. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I you thought did, this was like kind you, of my fifth or You did fourth. like three in Edinburgh, I think, in the original oh, run. Oh, right, okay. I did that three year run in Edinburgh, and then we did, talked about your last book on, yeah. put that as one of the early book clubs. But it's five years since you've last been here, here doing this one. You see, um, but that I thought it was three years ago, but that's that's so that's pandemic time. It pandemic. So it was twenty eighteen yeah. is about this time. Oh, yeah. Twenty eighteen, yeah, yeah. so five, so, yeah. five years, which seems insane. And it's, that was the only Rahalastapur. Thank you. That Sorry, I didn't stay for the whole. Yeah, yeah, time. you buggered off. <laughs> I told some boring anecdote. I think you went on for a long time. I don't think we put it out actually. But Fine. <laughs> Fine. But I didn't stay to the end. That's the only time that's happened. So, uh, yeah. well, so that will. Well, let's see if we can. We'll see what happens. See if we can top that. Yeah. <laughs> Next <laughs> half an hour or three hours, depending how long this goes on. Uh, but you had your own chat show, and like you had amazing guests as yeah. the pub landlord. Yeah. I was watching something today. I mean, you had a. I just happened across the one which was. You had Philip Schofield. I know. With Cilla Black and Des O'Connor. I know. As th- all three of them together. It's pretty, Elef- it was pretty it's impressive. the ITV elephant's graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying everyone who comes into contact with you dies, Al, but it's... Well, eventually they <laughs> eventually shall. Eventually they do. But it was, there, it was, it was quite funny, because I remember was, uh, Cilla Black was sort of... She was very grand. She was very grand, but then there were some rude jokes and she couldn't yeah. believe it. And then she was talking about Des O'Connor being in the being in the hotel where Des O'Connor had conceived his yeah. last child. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, made it sound like she was in the room. But yeah, she was sort of shocked but enjoying it. Mm. But what what other what were your favourite people you because you must um, have done a lot well, of Well, we had Buzz Aldrin on and that yeah, was wow. that he was amazing. And um I remember doing the warm-up and and and, and it was this thing. I would do the warm-up for the show, so to keep the whole thing sort of on tone, but uh, uh, or a lot of it. And then, the, and then Gordon Southern used to fill in the rest, who was, was yeah. brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And uh, but we had Buzz Aldrin on, so I came on and said, uh, "We've got a real treat for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We got we got Buzz Aldrin." And Buzz Aldrin didn't know what on earth he'd walked into, <laughs> right? Because you basically you pay Buzz Aldrin, yeah. 
right? That's how it works. If you want to meet the second man on the moon, you give him money. Right. right? <laughs> it's as simple as that. Right, he was in town for something else, so we gave him some money and he came on the show. Yeah. And, uh, and you could see him, like, thinking, what the hell is going on here? What is this? So I go on and went, we got lazy and we've got a very special guest for you, Buzz Aldrin. And he only went to the fucking moon and the place went wild, right? <laughs> and, he, and, and apparently in the green room he goes, I think I'm going to be okay with this show. Because <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't know if people are going to say to him, or yeah. he didn't, I mean, it's a long time ago this now, you know, did you even go, mate, right? But what was really funny, one of my, my daughters are here tonight, my older daughters, Scarlett, <laughs> Scarlett and Willow. And Scarlett used to come to those recordings fairly regularly. And Buzz's wife... And Buzz has just remarried, and, and that's fantastic news and everything, because he's yeah. 89 or something, and yes. hope, hope for everybody and all that. <laughs> I hope he doesn't ruin it by having a couple of children and, <laughs> and for himself. And, um, and his wife at the time had had an awful lot of plastic surgery, right. Right, like a tremendous amount of plastic surgery. Right. I remember Scarlett saying to me, Dad, and she must have been six or seven at the time, or maybe eight, maybe eight, and she said, Dad... I look at Buzz, Buzz's wife and she makes me think of space. <laughs> so he was great. <laughs> um, but that was amazing meeting him. Yeah, it was course. truly incredible to meet him. Yeah. Um, and we did all these stupid jokes. Like we, had a, we had a thing with like a, like a drink on a piece of string like it was zero gravity. And you could see him thinking, what the fuck is this? <laughs> who is this idiot, right? Which is exactly what, also what we were kind of going for. Sure. Like, who is this idiot? Like, because we... Uh, uh, and, then, and then Donny Osmond was on the show, who was brilliant. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd walk over hot coals for Donny Osmond. He was a fantastic bloke. Because he... I'd met him a couple of times before... And he was always like, he's always like, Al Murray, what are you doing? How's it going? I hear everything's great for you. Like, it's like you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to be like that, Donnie. It's fine, right? And we had this whole joke about how he was a merman, not a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> and I deliberately spilled water on it. <laughs> to see if he'd sprout fishes. <laughs> And he's, and he's going, ah. you know, it's such a sweet man. And we did this, we did this thing where um, we had this, my, my, the pub landlord, because we had Gary on, Time Gentleman, please. Yeah. The, who was the dog in the, in, the, in, the, in the sitcom. And then we, for, for the talk show, he had a, I had a stuffed dog called Ramrod, um, who was this, this black, really scruffy dog that had been sketched on a whiteboard. And the prop guy went away and came back with this dog on a trolley. Um, exactly from a thing drawn on a whiteboard. Like, yeah. uh, but black as well. So the director's going, why is it black? You fucking idiots. I can't film that. But the really great thing about it is when you press the button, when you press the button on the lead, his eyes lit up red. Right? And so the whole thing, he was invented to say to Donny Osmond, look, I used to have a dog called Ramrod, and when I sung Puppy Love to him, his eyes would light up. <laughs> right? But he's dead, right? But fortunately, I stuffed him and myself... You know, that was a long weekend, all this sort of stuff. And then I go and get him, plug him on the thing, and start and, and, and said, Could you sing <laughs> Puppy Love to my dead stuffed dog? It's so funny, this. <laughs> and he did. He got down on one knee, and they called it Puppy Love. And, it, and obviously, halfway through, I pressed the button, and his eyes light <laughs> I mean, we entertained ourselves mainly on that show. And, uh, <laughs> ITV didn't feel that way about it. But, um, 
It was really, really, it was an amazing, amazing thing to, amazing thing to have, have you, done. Have you put all of them? Because you've got your own YouTube channel. I know you've put Time Gentleman Please up there. There was a, this was on. I think, it was, so I think it's, some of it's been up. We, yeah. uh, we inevitably ran it. We had this running joke as well that um, whatever the band were that we had on, I'd, they'd play their new one and I'd go, well, that was all right, but you're not as good as Queen. <laughs> Come back at the end with a Queen cover. Yeah. And we had them in a set that was meant to look like a pub toilet. And and so they would. So Madness did. There's Madness doing. Madness did a version of Killer Queen, and uh, uh, the Wombats did. Uh, Brian Ferry did Fat Bottom Girls, and uh, not Brian Ferry. Brian, uh, you know what's his name? The, the Canadian singer. Brian Adams. Adams. Brian Adams did Fat Bottom I'd love Girls. To see right? Brian Ferry doing Fat Bottom Girls. Well, so would have I. So would have I. <laughs> well, that was the idea. So we and, and what was really so. So we've run in. I think for the for YouTube and all that, we we've kind of run That's into like one of those. Problems. Really annoying problems because it was a re- it was a really because the thing is when when we put the programs they're going they're, they're saying oh if you if you have a band on and they do their new one at, at the end they'll t- people will turn over because it's always that thing they do do a song and they run the credits yeah. so they'll turn over so I said well the way to do it then is we do this, their song halfway through when there's still some program left but with the offer of what if at the end of the show you know Backstreet Boys do <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. And that and and that's what we did. And and then in the end, Queen got word of it, so they came on the end of the first series. So I got to sing with Queen at the end of the first series, which is totally <laughs> mental. And uh, I was going, I was going through a rough. T- I was getting divorced at the time, it was a, or things were going wrong at home, and it was a really rough time. And I remember sitting there like thinking, oh, I don't know what, oh, fuck me, I've got to. This is all like doing my head in the pressure of it all, and also going home is really difficult. And one of the crew sat down next to me and said, I bet this is your wildest dream to sing with Queen. <laughs> I said, no, of course not. No one, never, no one dreams they'll ever sing with Queen. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. And then, and then we had them back, and then at the end of the second series, we had them on again, when they, and they had Paul Rogers from Free singing with them. So they used to do All Right Now. Yeah. And... Uh, we went to a break. They did their new one that they'd done with him. And, and you know, and, I, and we came out of the break and I went, we came out of the break with him finishing Bohemian Rhapsody. And I said, oh, you won't believe what's happened during the adverts, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Queen just played Bohemian Rhapsody. By the way, I'm a bit sick of Queen now. I said it to Queen's face. A bit sick of Queen now. Do you know me free? Right? And so they, so they did all right now at the end of the programme. We, yeah. we had so much fun with that. It was yeah. an amazing thing to have done. Yeah. No, it was good. Well, look, there is some of it online, so go and have a look. It is, it is only, and I suppose there's a, there's a, it's very hard interviewing a character, but it does seem to work the other way around, where the character, oh, yeah. where a character does the interview. So that's obviously Mrs. Merton was a fine yeah, example I mean, uh, and and Dame Edna, and yeah. when we when we when we, I mean, basically when we when we put it together, we pitched it as Publand or Dame Edna experience. Yeah, right. Um, uh, and we're going to be we're going to I'll be rude to people's faces, and they might not know. I remember the first two or three. The guests, you could see them going, "What the fuck is going on?" Because <laughs> you do, you do the standard research chat, yeah. where the researcher will ring up and go, "And uh, you know, uh, it says here you really like pottery," and the, the star would go, "Yeah, I'm, I like a bit of pottery," and then they'd expect to be asked about it. And then we would write these rehe- we would write these interviews that were like basically thirty jokes. I'm going to fire at them, thirty, you know, and then and then if they go for that, we'll follow it up with this and follow up questions like a like a sort of political interview, really, rather than a... But all of it jokes. And we'd... Uh, and I remember... I remember Jason... The look on Jason Donovan's first face during the first episode. Like, <laughs> what the fucking hell have I let myself in for? But he was a sport in the end. And it, and it came down to that thing as well. If people, if people 
like joined in and had fun with it, they yeah. they, they looked great, yeah. you know, uh, uh, rather than sort of if, the, if their hackles went up. It's yeah. only happened a couple of times. Who did, did you have anyone who? Re- I've had people who've re- not let me put episodes out. Al, have, have you had? Do you have- no, we didn't. We didn't have him on. <laughs> Louis Walsh. Oh, Louis Walsh. He, 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 he'd obviously he'd not. You know, they must have all been sent clips. He'd yeah. obviously not watched it. And uh, he kept correcting me, because we used to have a thing where I'd make deliberate mistakes. <laughs> right? Like I'd half-read the notes. Yeah. And because it was when it was, we were talking about... I think it was, it was sort of around... It was not long after Little Britain time, or around Little Britain time. And I kept calling them Dave Lucas and Matt Williams. Right. right? <laughs> and he would correct me. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's like, no, I'm getting, getting it wrong on purpose, mate. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting it wrong on purpose, for fuck's sake. But in general, I mean, people were... It, it, it was really good fun to do, and it was, there, was something really, there was something really amazing about... You'd have people on who had been, like, really PR-trained, yeah. and you would, if you didn't play ball with them, they, 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 they wouldn't know what to do. Sure. And that was quite good fun. Yeah. No, it's true. Well, it's well, it's well worth looking up. Uh, I do remember, I do remember from the time, but it was it was nice to see it again. Uh, let's talk about you. You're doing so many things. I mean, you're back on tour as well, but you're um, uh, you've written a, a proper history I know. book. So, yeah. like last time, I talked to you about your funny, cop, your funny, funny history, history book, book, which yeah. still has some history in it, yeah. and some very good history in it, which was called the hunt. What is it called? A hundred. The 20th century and all that. Yeah, yeah. 20th century and all that, uh, which is is great. But this is a this is like n- no joke. Well, you know some. There are some, there's some, some lines humor. in there's it. There's some lines. Yeah. Uh, but it's about World War II, uh, called Command, How the Allies Learned to Win the Second World War. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's terrific. You get it as an audio book, which is what I always recommend, because uh, you can listen to it as you drive your car around or run around the, the block. Um, but uh, when you read it yourself. Yep. Which is always good. Uh, Cheaper. So, <laughs> so tell us, tell us, what, tell us what, the, what, what you well, wanted the, to achieve with this and what the well, book basically, is. Well, um, basically, the, the book is ten portraits of people of, of officers on the British and American and uh, Commonwealth side and, and uh, um, I have this podcast with James Holland who's a yeah. real Second World War author and we, cu- we coined an acronym which is Duke, Dominions UK Empire which is who's fighting on the British side yeah. during the Second World War so that includes New Zealand, Australia, Canada South Africa, India or the British Empire basically um, but you know, with the qualifications of Dominion and all that. Anyway, so so it's Duke generals and a couple of American generals, and but and the, the story the story of the Second World War I think is interesting, or one of the stories of the Second World War is interesting because the the West, the Allies, get off to a really horrendous, appalling start. Yeah. The kind that the kind that you when you look at it could have just finished them off completely, and somehow. Figure out, recover from from the the you know the Dunkirk. I, I'm you know my grandfather was killed in the fighting outside Dunkirk. I don't like when it's presented as a miracle. Mm. It, it's as big a disaster as any army uh, reverse as any army has ever suffered in military history. It's it only topped by Singapore. Really, it's an absolute total calamity, and the reasons of the reasons are get sort of elided around. But it's pretty clear what went wrong and why, and. Yet the most amazing thing is four years later, um, you know, the, the Normandy invasion happens and the British are, like, are back. Duke, the Duke forces are back with the Americans. And it's like, they've, it's, it's, it's like they're complete, a completely different uh, setup. Yes. And that is amazing. The, the, yeah. the, that, that alone uh, 
in the story of the Second World War is incredible. And there's, you know, all the things that make that happen. So what I wanted to do was use 10 people to tell 10 points in the history of the Second World War, and also, but also talk about what being those people was like, what the decisions were they were having to face, and what the institutions they were wrestling with were like as well. So... But I, and I've got famous people in it, and then people who no one no one has ever heard of. Yeah. So I've got Monty in it and Patton because you can't avoid them. But I've tried to write about them from a different angle to their normal, the way they're normally written about. Sure. And then people no one has ever heard of, like Peter White, Alastair Pearson, uh, and uh, uh, White is the last chapter in the book. And he was a he was a South Af- he was born in South Africa. He went to Surrey. He was an artist, son of an artist, uh, a pacifist, a Christian really not interested in the in the war at all he was sort of i think 14 when it started right. so in 1939 you know no realistic expectation perhaps that you'd still you'd have to do anything about it um and then by 1944 he has to be a, he has to join the army he has to be an officer and he ends up leading men and and he wrote an amazing biography and he was also a brilliant artist so the writing's really evocative so he really tells you what the responsibility of being 19 20 years old having a platoon, sort of 30 guys, and trying to look after them, trying not to get them killed, trying to make sure they all keep, keep it together, yeah. and you keep it together, because they need you to, to be together as a person. And, and um, so he ends the book, but I start off with um, Monty, who you know, is the most famous British general and much maligned, but I don't want to write about... I didn't write about... The well-known bits of him I wrote about before he was famous. Yes, you know, yeah. like like an Angus Deaton clip show. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, it's you know, it, I, I, you know, I know you are super interested in war and the mechanics yeah. of war and the hardware of war, which I've never never really fascinated before. But it went, having to having reading it and, and thinking about, yeah. the, you know, I mean, just ten examples, but you realise that how many times this must have gone over and over again, but how difficult. Uh, and how much preparation was just even a simple assault on a place. Oh, God, You'd need to combine all the different types of force. It, it, They've all got to arrive at the same com- time. The, the equipment's got to arrive. Bo- it's completely boggling. And if you're, you know, if you're... A, so I start with Montgomery, who's a, who's a divisional commander at the start of the Second World War. And he's had this really terrible... Uh, he, he, had a, he, he had a good First World War, if you can have such a thing, where he was injured at, right, at the right moment so he could then go into being a staff officer and learn how everything worked. So he wasn't just killed, right? Um, yeah. And and he learns how everything works. And then between the wars, he's that boring bloke who just wants to talk about work. <laughs> when they're when they're in the mess and everyone wants to play polo, and everyone and the British Army goes through this real thing after the First World War where they just want to go back to proper soldiering rather than fighting. And proper soldiering is a bit of polo, <laughs> bit of parading, maybe a bit of police work, but like nothing, nothing serious like the First World War. And and he he gains this real reputation for being a like basically a, a total professional, and no one's interested. And come the Second World War, he's a divisional commander, so he's in charge, of, and that that means he's in charge of kind of fifteen thousand people. It's not the top level; it's somewhere down the machine. But the division is like the biggest unit size, sort of a, a, um, self-sufficient unit size in in the British Army at the time. And he's brilliant at it. He's just, he's just, he's, he's absolutely brilliant at it. But he gets in trouble um, during the first phase of the Second World War. When I mean, as you sure, I'm sure you all know, the war breaks out in September '39. But then nothing. The British don't do anything until May 1940. Until they're forced to by the Germans attacking France. 
And he's a divisional commander during the Phony War period, or the Boer War, or the Sitzkrieg, as it's known. <laughs> and he really cares about his men. He's unusual. He really, really cares about his guys. Not because he cares about them, but because he wants them as efficient as possible as soldiers. Yeah. So if that means he's got to fake liking them or care about their health. He's, I mean, he's been described by another writer as he's basically a psychopath. He's like, it's like, because he loves it. He loves fighting. He loves, the, he loves war. Yeah. But he's actually really, really good at looking after his guys. And he gets in, in, the, in the winter of 1939, he writes a memo, a divisional memo. So he writes to all his officers saying, right, we're in France. And he's been in France before, 20 years, 25 years previously with the First World War. And they have a massive problem in the First World War with, with what they called VD at the time, sexually transmitted infections, STIs. A massive problem. To the point where the First World War is characterised as the trench foot war. The British Army um, hospitalises 40... I think, no, it's 75,000 people with trench foot during the First World War. Sounds like a lot of people. It's an organisation with 3.5 million people in it. It's a lot of people, but it's... But they hospitalise... How many people do they hospitalise for VD during the First World War? It's 450,000. <laughs> <laughs> it, and the problem then goes home. Yeah. So guys go home, having caught the clap, take it home to their wives um, and take it home to the prostitutes at home. <laughs> and so there's an epidemic in the UK as well, to the point where they're removing uh, doctors from France, from Flanders to go home to the UK to deal with the VD epidemic. Yeah. And it causes a moral panic. And it falls down the old lines. There's the people who say, we shouldn't talk about this at all <laughs> because sex is naughty yeah. right? and wrong and morally undermines us. And then the other people who say, we need to talk about this and we need to give out condoms and we need to do health checks if we're going to have any, uh, any uh, influence over the course of events. Yeah. And the Lobby A also think that women should be held responsible for this problem. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and Lobby B think that the men should be held responsible okay. for it. Mm. it I don't know. It, 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 but, but, the, but the strangest people are on the different sides. So yeah. Emmeline Pankhurst is very much on the, on the moral outrage side. Right, really, yeah. Right, which is really interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, and then the sort, of, the sort of, you know, classist, eugenicist side of opinion in Britain at the time thinks that, you know, uh, this is a sign of moral decrepitude in the working classes and VD, VD will, will sort things out for it. It's right. really mad. So anyway, so come the Second World War, Monty's thinking, well, I don't want that happen again. So he writes to his men, and it's a funny memo. He writes this memo in <laughs> sort of... And he's, and he's funny. He's, he's got this very bone-dry wit, but he basically says, I understand the men, and I know what they're like, and I understand what young men are like, particularly when they're facing the prospect of possible death. Mm -hmm. um, and if they want to take their pleasure with a young lady in a turnip field, then so be it. Right? <laughs> yeah, he actually uses that expression. He says, should they seek horizontal refreshment? Right? <laughs> right? This is what we need to do. And he tells the officers to, to find a brothel that's approved, to run health checks, to get the men to admit it, to, you know, all this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And that memo goes out, and the head chaplain of the British Expeditionary Force and the head Roman cha cha Catholic chaplain call for his head and uh, try to get him fired because of this memo, because of the language in it. Yeah. Which I find absolutely amazing. Yeah. Right? Because they're just not serious. They're not serious about the war. They're not serious about what they've embarked on. They're, they're more interested in their, their daft moral positions yes. 
in a war, which is, after all, an insane moral position. <laughs> yes. Right? So they're all... And, and, and if they'd fired him, he really was the, the best divisional commander then becomes an army commander then becomes, the, you know, the, the guy who runs D-Day. If they'd fired him, they'd have had to find someone else. Yeah. And, they, and, and as I said, they're an organisation that doesn't like talent, isn't interested in professional, yeah. professional people. Who would have done it? And, and that question's unanswerable. Yeah. And so I start there and then we work our way through different um, things. It is sort of, I mean, it makes you think both how awful it would have been, to, you know, how lucky we've been to live in a time where, so far, up yeah, to yeah, now, yeah. I mean, I think you and well, I are too safe. old, mate, You right. and I are safe <laughs> from, from conscription, I think. <laughs> is the way you go really back to talk about fitness, to go, really, how yeah. fit you've got to be to fight a war, really you go, really slow oh, uphill attack. I, I'll be all right. Uh, we're going to do downhill attack. But also to, also, yeah, this... But also just like, you know, SDIs being so, um, you know, treatable, but only in horrible ways. But like, well, and also sort of like syphilis. Was... But it's syphilis we're talking about yeah. as well. So it's, which is, which in the 19th century is basically straight AIDS. Yes. And is, is the, the, the moral panic that grips the whole of, the whole of, you know, the whole of the world in the, in the 19th century about what syphilis is and yeah. how it relates to madness and how it relates to genius and how, you know, how it, dis- you catch it and then it disappears and it might resurface and, Asylums are full of people with syphilis in the 19th century. Yeah. So they all know, they, you know, when they talk about VD, they're, they're, they're not talking about thrush. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're talking about something really, really serious. But also, people, even in, in spite of that, people still went out and had sex with <laughs> prostitutes. So, like, knowing that you could get this uh, terrible, terrible disease. Well, and, you know, and, and I know our generation went through it as well, and, you know, with, with AIDS and yeah. so, you know, and HIV. So it's. It, it, you can't stop people. Well, you also, won't stop people. And it's also really hard to stop young young men yeah. who you're who could die next. Of course, yeah. They're not worried about they're not worried being about mad, mad they when they're eighty when no. they're not, they're not the, thinking they're going to get. To and the, the army's other big problem was is uh, VD was regarded as a self inflicted injury. Um, well, because cause it is right. <laughs> Unless you fucked a German. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, becomes a, that becomes a problem later. But, but so no fraternisation in 1945, and they, they give up on that quite quickly. Um, uh, but, 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 but it's a self-inflicted injury. So, uh, but also, so, so you, wouldn't re- you wouldn't turn yourself in. No. So the VD rates, and the, I've got, there's all these numbers in the book, the VD rates are report, the men reporting how ill they are if they're sick. Yeah. There's obviously, so there's a whole load of people who just thought, I'll, I'll style it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell them I've got tonsillitis, you yeah. know, get the, get the antibiotics that way. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, this book, I mean, that's a, it's not a light-hearted bit by any, by any means, but you're funny, you are funny around the subject as well, as well as it being quite a serious subject. But it, it's very impressive because it is, it is like a, it's a proper history book and it yeah. must be nice to... You know, and it's been accepted, I think, by historians. Yeah, so yeah, I've been very... Be, it must yeah. be nice. Because you've done a lot of work, you know, I think even within your stand-up, when you, when you do something like How yeah. Britain's All Won Every yeah. War, you've, there's a lot of scholarship in, in that routine. Yeah, that's you know. more like pub quiz scholarship. <laughs> well, a little but bit. That, no, but I was, but, I was very nervous about this book yeah. because, because I, did, I did entirely expect to be told to stay in my lane and, yeah. and all that. You're not allowed to be interested in more than one thing. If you've done one thing in public, you're, you're supposed to stick to it, aren't you? Um, and this is a this is very much a. I mean, I was able to write this because of the pandemic. If I'd been on my normal timetable, it would have taken like much much longer to put sure. together yeah. and to find the find the time to, to find the time to find the stuff to to base the book on. Yeah. 
How are you finding? To, like, I did, you know, I'm fucked. I did a gig in Leicester yesterday and I drove up, drove myself. Yeah. But it's only two hours each way. Yeah. I absolutely fucked today. Yeah. How? And it's because I'm 50. I mean, it's, it's partly having. Young You're older kids. than me, right? I'm a little bit. Am I a little bit? I'm a year. 55, older. right? Yeah. 50. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's the one that's more the year. Problem, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading about. I can't remember who it was, but some old school comedian who was about 55 and said, "I'm giving up because the, the driving's too much." And now I'm there, and I'm kind of thinking, I'd quite like to go back on tour, but, you know, if I get this tired after one gig... Yeah, but I... I mean, I have a guy... You have a guy driving, you? drives, yeah. I don't know what to do if I go on and tour. And he's even I... older than me. Is he? Yeah. I still think, even he's if you're 60. driven... It's still quite exhausting being driven by... You know, like, the travelling is, is hard, right? But you've learned to just sleep, haven't you? I can't. I'm not, I'm not very good yeah, at sleeping. I'm quite good at that, yeah. A little, a little. I mean, I get, get better because I'm so I mean, not tired. while you're driving. Not when I'm seats. driving, but... <laughs> <laughs> I do sleep a bit in cars now because I'm so tired, but I, yeah. but I usually find it quite difficult. So, are you finding okay the the touring? Experience? Yeah, the touring was all right, but the the big the big change is I was at home for the longest I've ever been at yeah. home. Yeah, for the pandemic, right? And it and it it, it has me. Um, you know, I always think people who use the expression work life balance are f- fucking wankers, right? <laughs> they, they need, you know, shut up! Right? It's all it's all life, right? But but um. I've, I've, I, I, what we did the first half of the year, and it really worked very well, was we did two or three a week, right? Yeah. And no longer. And then there was a bit in the middle of the year and then, the, and the, uh, then at the end of the year where I was away, away four or five days. And I really... I, I used to not... I used to just... <laughs> who cares? I used to be like, not give a shit about that. Yeah. Like, just shrug it off. Brilliant. Manchester tomorrow. We'll go for lunch there. Like, all that, right? And I, my, I, I found it... In the autumn, it really actually started to sort of get me down because I'd been at home so much. Yeah, uh, well, I feel the same as well, yeah. And, it, and, and, <laughs> and I, I don't know, maybe next year, if, I go, if and when I go out next year, uh, uh, that will have worn off. But maybe not. It may be, it may be that the, it may be... But it also, I also think it's also possibly a function. You know, I'm not, I'm not young anymore. Like, no. uh, like, you know what I mean? If I was 35, I'd like, yeah, sure, I'd be, bash through it all but yep. you get a bit older and you get a bit more tired and your knee your knee gets hot for no reason going upstairs <laughs> and... <laughs> and did was the lockdown particularly hard i mean you know i think like you and i both i, I feel it a lot less now but you know i i my wife would notice if i hadn't gigged for a bit like before lockdown that i'd get a bit antsy and she'd, she'd always well, say the minute i went out and did a gig i was i was much nicer to well lockdown. i i the, right at the start i was about to go on tour and I think um, Steve's here, who's our agent, <laughs> so we could talk about this. Come on, can I, Steve? Yeah. Great. So, um, <laughs> so we were about to go out, and we'd had a problem at um, Watford Coliseum where their roof had fallen in the previous autumn. Okay. Right? So we'd had to postpone the gig. So we postponed it to, like, March. Right. Of, yeah. And we couldn't get a straight answer out of them whether the roof was still falling in or not <laughs> yeah. and all that. And, and it looked... And it, pandemic was like obviously coming and the amazing thing about that is we had some gigs booked in the far east and the promoter's guy ah, don't worry about it it'll be fine but, <laughs> nah, nah, you can still you can still come out to thailand don't worry it'll be all right hong kong yeah no problem right really okay um uh in april, april you know yeah. like after this little run of gigs anyway we we couldn't get a straight answer out of what for coliseum so it was all this like do we have to, we're gonna have to make a decision what do we do and I was sli- I was secretly thinking, God, it'd be brilliant not to have to go out. <laughs> yeah. It'd be brilliant to be at home for a bit. So I so when it first started, I basically said to myself, 
it's all right. You've had a good run. You, you, things have gone well. There's still some people who like you. Uh, uh, you get to pick and choose a bit and you don't need the laughter anymore. You don't need the approval of strangers. <laughs> you're not like you were when you started. Yeah. You're, you're a whole person. You're complete. Right? <laughs> it's okay. Right? You're, 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 you're like, the, the, laugh, the laughter's nice, but it's no longer what fuels you. <laughs> and then in that first summer... They, when they started allowing gigs in pub gardens, M- um, Math Brown rang me and said, oh, I'm doing a thing down in Hampton Wick or something. Uh, pub garden, uh, you know, it's 100 people at tables. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I've, I'm kind of okay. I don't really need the laughter. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, fuck's sake, come down. I said, but I haven't got any stuff. Math. He said, oh, don't worry. You, you don't need to worry about it. You'll be all right. So I go down and... And we're all we're all up in the room where the club normally is, and we came down the fire escape and onto the, you know, and everyone on those trestle tables and all that. And I did about I did about forty minutes, and I was as high as a kite, right <laughs> after the people la- you know, people yeah. laughing, and I realised I'd just been I'd just been like <laughs> lying to myself, like it's like it's a craven attempt. <laughs> To rationalise everything, and then I'm straight away. You got another one, you know. And, and, and then I and then I really got into doing um, stuff on Zoom. Like figured yeah. out a way to do it. Um, and uh, James Gill's club always be comedy. We did a thing. We did a pub quiz every Monday night, and I'd sit in my office, and he'd write, he'd prepare it all, and then we'd we'd do it, and we'd have got 120 people, and I'd, I've had I'd have 40 people, regular people with you know with their kitchens and their living rooms and their you know, lounges and all that, and, and it was brilliant. Yeah. And it actually, it actually meant I was all right. Yeah. <laughs> because in the end, you know, we, the, the, you know, because I, I, I don't like the idea that we're all, like, um, suicidal comedians. But, or, but and we're, as, I think, it was a representative of cross-section of people as any, as any other. Yeah. But we do all really like it when people love our jokes. <laughs> There's something missing in the heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think also you're similar to me in that I think you, you know, you in real life you you describe yourself as quite conformist, and as a child yeah. you were very conformist, very and, much and rule so. obeying, which I was. Yeah, I was very scared of doing anything naughty yeah. or wrong. And yet on stage, and you have a, a whole armor of the persona around yeah. you. I mean, the character around you, and I mine's. A, a bit more like me, but still, a, yeah. a sort of extended version of myself. We can be much. But I remember seeing. A, I remember seeing a comedian in like 1988, I think, um, who was trading under the name Cecil Massey. <laughs> oh yes, I did do a character. Rich did this character. He's an old, <laughs> like an old man, which is quite a thing to try and pull off when you're 21. <laughs> like, oh, I'm all really old. Like. And you used to say all sorts of like, yeah. and, it was, and you could see that I could see how liberating it was. Yeah. That, that, and also that what you're openly saying is we're here to play together. We're here to play. And, and, you know, in a weird way, this is a safe space where we can say terrible things and we know we don't mean them. Yeah. We have agreed that we don't mean any of this. And, and that, that, would, that, that is sort of, I mean, you know, this is the, the endless argument about doing a character and where does the truth truly lie and all that <laughs> shit that I get thrown at me. But yeah, I mean, I like, I absolutely love, I love, and because I, I, I was, I was a, v- a very, very conformist child, and there's still a big streak of me that wants, the, the, that's, the, I feel like that's the sort of magnetic north I'm always being pulled back to. 
Yeah. And that I need to, I really need to resist. Um, it's a, it's a peculiar, it's a peculiar, it's a peculiar mindset. And it, and it's try, you know, I think maybe the, in all the comedy I've done, that, 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 that sort of push and pull is where the energy for it has come from. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I, d I mean, I don't know, because in the end, you, you, we're starting to dissect the frog here, but yeah. um, uh, uh, which is quite tricky. Well, you never want to look at why things work and why things don't. Like, with the, I, you know, this podcast, I kind of, every now and again, think, am I doing it right? Do I need to go back and think about how I used to do it? And then I think, no, I'm just, whatever yeah. it is, I'll do whatever yeah. it is and yeah. see how it goes. You know, is it changing? Is it changing the wrong way? Is it the right way? And the minute you start doing that, you'll fuck yourself oh, up. Oh, no, you're you, really in trouble. You've yeah. just got to go, okay, I trust my instincts. Yeah. And, and if it is different than it was 10 years ago, which fucking hell I hope it is. Well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, when people say, the, you know, how has the pub landlord changed? Well, I mean, I was 30 years younger when I started doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's changed enormously. Although the, I think the sort of the the thing in the middle of the, the you know is the same, yeah. or the aim is the same. But of course, you, I can't. It, it, I have. To, I have to change it too. Or I'll go mad. Yes. I mean, it's the other the other big part of it. You'll go, I mean, the other go option is to not do him anymore. But is that is that an option for you? No, because 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 if I would if I were to do me as stand up, I would literally wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> Because, 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 the, because after all, all the all of the conventions of stand up are, are that you're not telling the truth. Yeah. That you're you, you've compressed stories, you've exaggerated them. I mean, I often sometimes I'll, I'll see stand ups, you, you know, put put someone special on. I'll be talking about my brother said this, my mum did that, and you think, fucking hell, you know, make some stuff up. <laughs> I've created a whole world and a mindset, you lazy bastard. <laughs> Literally going around to your mum's house hoping she says something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, going to, going to a tourist attraction in the hope that it's shit. You know? <laughs> so you can get squeezed five minutes out of the lemon, right? And think, well, I've invented an explanation of how the city of London works, you lazy pricks. <laughs> I remember, um, and, you know, Chris Ramsey's a really good friend of mine because I worked with him, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and he's a brilliant, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. But I remember him ringing me up and going, you won't believe what's fucking happened. And he'd been arrested in a hotel in a case of mistaken identity. And you think, well, there's your show. You, <laughs> you lucky fucker. Like, like, <laughs> nothing, happens, nothing happens to me. So I can't, you know. And I also, I'd, I'd, I, would, I, would rather, I would rather make stuff up, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's, my, that's my inclination. And I think, uh, uh, and stand-up also... Because of those conventions, offers you that um, opportunity anyway. Mm. Why not make Why not make stuff up? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting. And it doesn't have to be about yourself. And you never did, did you? So the other act you did yeah. was the murder. Yeah, yeah. The, that the noises, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was was a sort of character of just yeah. a, well, and, and a sort of special act. As yeah, well, yeah, as well. basically. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. You never. I mean, you did sketches. And... I, I, the thing is, is the thing is, is I because I, I mean, I think it's an interesting way to live where you talk about your life all the time. Yeah, it's a really interesting way to live. Because, because, you know, if you, if, if you, do you sit your parents down and say, I'm going to do that joke about the time at Sunday lunch, mum asked me what anal sex was, yeah. right? And your parents go, what? <laughs> did that happen? Or did you make that? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I don't have to bother with any of that. I just, my mother has to come and see a show where I, I mean, remember the time they came to the show where I used the C word 35 times. <laughs> <laughs> my dad sort of. Came and said he'd enjoyed it. Anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. I, 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 I think, I think one of the big, I think one of the big mistakes people make about stand-up is they're prescriptive about what it ought to contain. Yeah. And the brilliant thing about it is, it's, it is a blank page. 
It's yeah. a blank stage. It's a blank page. Put what you want on it. You don't have to talk about. You don't have to talk about yourself. You don't have to tell the truth. The, 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 you know, the, 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 the truth isn't important on stage. Truth is. Truth is, but not, but not the truth. truth. Yeah. Right. You, you know what I mean? I do. Know, yeah. And and I, and I think I think I think that can get lost sight of when you know because what you get in the kind of critical establishment is is sort of phases of ideas of what what comedy ought to be and what it ought to contain. And I kind of think, yeah, fine, all right. It's got to be funny though, right? It's sort of boring. My boring starting point. You know, the, the, any any prescriptive description of what it ought to be will probably fail. Yes. It's, you know, it should be entertaining, one would hope. But then entertainment is all sorts of things as well. So, you know, that's the other thing. It yeah. doesn't have to serve a purpose apart from entertaining. But, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But you I go mean, through it, different it, phases as a comedian yourself yeah. and thinking, one, you know, and I've certainly been through that thing, I'll do something experimental, I'll do something deliberately boring, I'll do yeah. something deliberately annoying. And then if you come to, yeah, I think I've got to try and do something that well, yeah. people will go home happy. <laughs> 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 so, so yeah. yeah, so it's you know, it is you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. There's so much stuff to this job, and like yeah. you say, so many different ways of doing it. Yeah, um, well, well, you know, sometimes you think, can I tell an hour long story, um, or shall I do an almighty callback from the start rather than you know, how do I thread this together? Yeah, what clumps do I put it in? Uh, do I start with something really like easy, or do I start with something where they go, well, you know, like. What do I do? How do I do this? And that you've got all those things to consider as well. Yeah. But I just think the minute you're prescriptive about it, you're in real trouble. Yeah. So you're going to carry on doing the London. Of course I am, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up because we've, we've run out of time. There's something. We'll have, we'll have to come back for an eighth appearance. Who's, the, so, who's done the most? Uh, I think uh, Buxton's done. I think Buxton's all done right, eight. fair enough. I think Buxton's done eight, but, you know, that's again including. Book clubs in Edinburgh yeah. and stuff. But you've got a lot because you did. I think you did all. Three uh, yeah, I mean, I got in it when you, when you couldn't make any phone calls, basically. Yeah. Just to resort to the people you knew. Hasn't changed that much. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you thought Russia were doing against Ukraine, but I don't think we've got time. So, uh, oh, they're going to have their tanks going. Well. <laughs> Oh well, no, that's that's a. I mean, it's too long. It's too long. It's too long. It's too, and it's and it's, but it's also it's about history too. Yeah, because one of the problems in one of the problems they had in the Soviet Union is they never were honest about how they fought the Second World War, and that stuff has been some so encased and crystallized in um, into what was then Red Army doctrine after the Second World War during the Cold War, and then what's seeped into what. So they they have a, basically don't know why they won. Right. So they don't know how to win. Yeah. And they, since then, everyone else's thinking has moved on. It's what it comes down to. Yeah. But I could, I could, I could get really boring about that quite quickly, as Let's I've just demonstrated. Let's not do that. You feel the temperature uh, like, drop in the room there. Like. In, uh, <laughs> just one word answer. Are we going to get dragged into a World War Three? Eventually. Yeah. Great. Okay. Good. There we go. That's the that's the big news it's, from the historian. It's already started. It has already started. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just the world in one place. The, the whole world involved in yeah. one country yeah. at the moment. But yeah. uh, we'll see if we can get it out everywhere. Spread it around a bit. Uh, it's been. <laughs> well, hopefully, I'll we just always dream. We we'll always dream. <laughs> we can sit at home. I know it'll be everywhere. It's a world war shit. I, no I think we. I think we'd end up being sort of ain't half hot mum. They're going to send Should conscription come in? We... 
<laughs> you and me in a concert party. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to do this podcast in front of a load of squaddies. And that's all, that's all I can say. And ladies and gentlemen, give it up the amazing Al Murray! You have been listening to Rahalastaba with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Al Murray. Thank you to Scant Regard for providing the music. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker, also to Chris Evans, not that one, and all of his crazy crew. And great to be back at the Leicester Square Theatre after two horrible weeks in Leicester. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.